Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. You're listening to episode 68 of Hack to Start. This episode features Anne Catherine Goulby, the sales manager at Quaid Media. Tyler and I wanted to invite Anne Catherine onto the show to share her amazing story and insights as an entrepreneur and app marketer. Anne Catherine was previously a marketing product manager with SwiftKey, a third-party keyboard for iOS and Android that adapts to the way you want to type. SwiftKey is a top consumer app and got over 1 million users in 24 hours when it launched on iOS last year. She is now a sales manager with Quaid Media, a TV advertising platform for mobile apps. This is an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, I'm Catherine. Thanks for being on the show today. Hey, Tyler and Franco. Uh, thanks for having me today. So let's start things off by getting to know a bit more about you. Where are you from? What did you study? And how did your passion for entrepreneurship develop? So I'm French. Um, I think you can all hear it from my accent. Uh, I grew up in a small town near the German border. Um, I studied uh, philosophy and humanities for three years and then I was thinking about going to a business university but I was super interested in, in research so I did a master degree in research and then I joined a business university in Paris and while I worked there my I did an apprenticeship to pay for the university it's a scheme you can do in France I did it in a luxury house called Cartier for two years and my apprenticeship was in HR. I was doing marketing, uh, HR marketing, and I must say that I didn't like HR so much. So um, luxury was interesting, kind of, but um, at the same time during my uni years I was networking a lot and there was this guy based in Cambridge, UK doing an MBA who after his MBA started a map marketing company there. And I needed six months abroad to get my degree, so I asked him. I asked him to take me in his company, and uh, that was my first experience in mobile back in January 2011. So that was almost five years ago, and uh, there I was the first employee in the company, and um, I did like marketing and PR and product and everything, and uh, and I just loved it. And I discover at the time that you can work for a company, be young, not so experienced, and have so much impact. I could pick the app that we were promoting and see them climb the store because I I recommended uh, them to the users. I could um, talk with clients, help them with their marketing, work with indies, work with big studios. I just loved it. And um, in my family si- on my family side, my dad was uh, an entrepreneur when I was born. He started his own company when I was... Um, yeah, one until I was three, and then he had health problems, so he should uh, he, he stopped it. But uh, it, it's, it was a spirits company. So when I was a very small girl, I was carried in my dad's uh, car all over Alsace to do the delivery and stuff. And I, I remember that as a very exciting time of my life. 
that was like a big family adventure. It was a big exhaustive, but um, for me, entrepreneurship is, is very fun. It's exhausting, but I wouldn't go back to more conventional work. So what were some of your first few jobs and how did you transition into tech and startups? So as I grew up in a, in a wine country, my first few jobs, a summer job, were in a wine, um, wine company. And uh, there I developed a sense of customer relationship because customers were very important. Then I did my master's degree in research, uh, not so much um, contact with the public. Then at Cartier, it was a very internal position. Um, and um, I don't know, I said that with my experience in a gigantic corporate uh, group, I was, I was keen to try, um, to try tech. And that was the beginning in 2011. There was like the first smartphones and uh, I had friends working at Google. And it seemed that tech was empowering and startups were a cool place for a young girl, ambitious and ready to get her hands dirty and willing to achieve something. Because in France, France can be very conservative, especially for careers. And I remember friends who were like two years ahead of me telling me, yeah, you know, you need to stay five years in a position and you're going to get your first promotion in 10 years and you won't do anything interesting before 12 years. And I'm just like, I've, I'm, I'm not passionate enough for, for that. So it seemed to me that in the startup environment, I could, um, I could achieve more. And that was what I was, was looking for. And that would happen. Well, that's awesome. So we'll get into a little bit more of that uh, later in the episode. But, you know, um, you were previously a, a product marketing manager at SwiftKey. So for those who might not know, what is SwiftKey and how did the opportunity to work there come about? So SwiftKey is a smart keyboard on Android and now on iOS. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a product where you can, it's an input technology that helps you type faster and uh, you can flow. We have this technology called flow where you can, you don't even have to type with your finger. You can just like um, flow your finger on your keyboard and it's going to type for you and correct and auto predict. Um, and so it's a, it's a performance tool and it also helps people with disability to communicate. Um, so it's very exciting. And I must say that the technology from the keyboard is a one pouring Stephen Hawking um, prediction engine on his, on his chair. It has been customized by one of our engineers. So it's very high level um, technology. And how did I heard about SwiftKey? So I was in the UK for a company called Magic Solvers and I moved to Berlin for an agency called TradeMap. And uh, after six months, uh, the, the, the project I was working on was over and I had an American friend um, who, moved, who was in Berlin at the time. And he's, he's a product guy. He just loves product. And he said, mm, if I have to stay in Europe, there's only five companies in Europe with a proper technology I would consider. And one of them was SwiftKey. And I was saying, mm, interesting, very interesting. And he applied for a position. And I said, do you mind if I apply as well? I said, no, just do it. And I saw this position as a marketing manager, which fit what I did before. And I was super excited. And I applied. And I was hired two, two weeks after. And I started in London. Oh, hey, that's awesome. And I didn't know that the technology was used in Stephen uh, Hawking's uh, own keyboard. That, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's really cool. There's a lot of cool stuff. I, I saw a tweet today that came that to SwiftKey is now the um, 2015 Company of the Year for the Comsky Computer Science Lab in Cambridge. After um, DeepMind and a company like DeepMind and Raspberry Pi, so it's very very exciting. That's awesome. So why was a, a new keyboard needed on 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 the Android, and what sort of made 
SwiftKey uh, as a product, very different from the stock Android keyboard. So the story of the of the two founders, it was back in 2009, I think. John and Ben, the founders, were looking at um, old people trying to use a feature phone and saw so, so them with it like struggling with the touches and then there was the first um, smartphone and they say well we need we need to improve the way uh, people type so they can communicate better they can struggle less and just make a communication a little bit easier for everyone so, and so they, they paired and they started to develop a prototype and uh, an alpha beta and um, they got so much good um, reception for the product that they just decided to build a company um, around it. And uh, how is it different from a stock keyboard? It's, um, it's, it's, it's a customized keyboard, so it, it's, it learns from you, it is powered by an algorithm, which the more you use, the more uh, creates your own language model and learns to talk from you. And it's especially good when you're bilingual like me, because it's gonna know whom I'm talking with, uh, my friend or my mom, or, or if I'm talking with a colleague, and it's gonna predict to me in English if I speak with an English colleague, and it's gonna start predict to me in French if I, if I talk to with, a, with French people, which is just um, a fantastic help. And so while I was working there, I promoted it to my friend and they just all super addicted to it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm kind of a split between Android and iPhone user. Um, and I've been using SwiftKey since, I don't know, a long time ago when it was on Android. Um, so it is, it is an awesome, awesome app. Um, and, and on that note, I guess, it, it started off as a paid app. We'll kind of get into the freemium model that, that you guys have adopted recently or that SwiftKey has adopted recently. But what were some of the most successful sort of tactics for user acquisition uh, or marketing channels for SwiftKey? So from the very, very, very beginning, uh, the, there was a very close relationship with uh, both the community and the tech blogger and journalist community. So... Um, we have been we've been using uh, SwiftKey has been using the community for beta testing and and feedback to get the product the different version of the product um, as good as possible and once um, we release to the market after we we have so much beta testing that um, if you want the product is 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 ready for mass consumption if you want. So if your product is ready to be launched, when it launches, uh, it sounds a bit stupid, but it works much better. So that's, um, and when we have a new version and it goes in beta, the community are really early adopter, very picky technologist, and, um, and they give us a lot of like bad feedback and then we work on it. And when we release, it's like, it's, it's, it's strong. It's really strong. There's always bug and problem and you need a, an update, a release, a, a fix, but it's, it's mostly going in the right direction. And as we've been working so closely with the community, the tech journalists have been seeing how serious and authentic we were in, in, in our approach. And, uh, and they like the story of two young guys from Cambridge wanting to help people communicate better and being so dedicated to their product and working so hard that they, they gave us a lot of love. And uh, we've been very lucky to be, um, if you want, uh, te technology bloggers and editors, uh, darlings. And that helps a lot as well, if, especially when you're a paid app, because it's um, it puts the name of the company and the product out, and then it's easier to get some attention and to build your brand. Yeah, absolutely. Those are some good uh, some good points. So 
You also spoke at the uh, App Promotion Summit in 2013, um, which we'll actually link to because uh, you, you, there's a presentation out there uh, that you presented um, called How SwiftKey Got to Number One in Google Play. I'm just wondering if you can kind of elaborate um, on, on some of the points in the deck, like how did you guys get to, to, to number one on Google Play? What were some of the, what were some of the main points um, that you'd have to share with other entrepreneurs who have an app that they're also trying to grow? Um, so key points um, would be uh, build a strong relationship with the platforms themselves, um, with Google. If you've got an exciting product, um, Apple and Google are always on the, on the look for great apps that demonstrate what you can do with an app uh, from a technology point of view, from a customer service. And uh, SwiftKey was pretty much an example of how awesome you can... Uh, develop an app on Android. So we were regularly picked and featured by Google and they gave us the editors of choice, um, the editor choice uh, app on, on Play. With that, you, uh, you get a lot of traction on the store. And at the same time, with all, all the coverage we have from technologies and the feedback from the community and the user just giving us uh, so, much, so much love and good ratings and sustainable installs, that's how you, you go there. But just remember that the paid category on both on iOS and, and Android are much smaller volume uh, of install required to get a top no, top ranking than on, on uh, the freemium category, which is a whole different beast. So, and some market like Switzerland, for instance, it's a very small market, so I think you can you can reach a number one paid app uh, in Switzerland with uh, thirty downloads a day. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome! So, so some some markets are quite easily to be number one in. Yeah, that's awesome. Those are some those are some great points. I mean, I think that you know definitely having the community backing you and and talking about how awesome the app is, um, and then you know showcasing what the app can do on, on the different platforms is a great strategy and obviously worked well. So on that note, uh, in September of, of 2014, Apple announced that they would have third-party keyboards available on iOS for the first time. Um, and shortly thereafter, SwiftKey launched their first iOS app. So what have been some of the sort of the major differences from a marketing and growth perspective between uh, Android and iPhone? I remember very well when Apple announced the keyboard. We were it was June 11th, uh, and we were in the watching the keynote in the office, and they just say they're going to be third-party keyboard load, and it's going to launch in September. And they were just like, "Oh my God! In three months, we need to have a product ready for the launch." Um, it was a bit mad. And so we built the product, we were ready for the submission, and we launched. And it was a whole new world because uh, that was, uh, at the time, we had, we had test-drived uh, the iOS platform with one app called Notes that has been withdrawn since. So we knew the process of submitting and taking the 10 days of submission and the approval process of Apple, which is much different from Android because Android is real-time. You can change anything all the time. No assets are frozen which is a, a massive marketing difference with iOS. And, uh, and the question was, how are we going to get the users? How are we going to get some interest uh, for the product? And uh, two things happened that were consistent with the SwiftKey st marketing story, which are um, we were featured by Apple uh, on, the that on the same week as an exciting uh, new app of the week that uh, gave us a tremendous boost. And um, the 
tech uh, journalists were super excited to get at SwiftKey on iOS and to see what we, ca we could do. And so we got a tremendous amount of coverage. So we achieved 1 million installs in 24 hours of the launch. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So, and then, but once you've launched an app, you have to keep, uh, and the freemium app, you have to keep uh, being there and getting your good quality install every day. So you keep uh, having a good ranking uh, in the store. And there, um, the algorithm, the iOS algorithm is much different from Android. The one from Android is much more resilient if you want. It, it, it's, it's a slower algorithm, which means that you're going to get, uh, you're going to keep a better ranking if, uh, if you've got good usage of the app and um, good retention and a more sustainable usage of, uh, use of the product, if you want. On iOS, it's, um, it's a bit more short time, so the ranking change uh, every hours. And it's a um, much more rocky um, game, I would say, because uh, it's uh, and it's the volumes are very big, so it's more difficult to get a high ranking, and it's much more costly. But again, the key for SwiftKey in for this um, new product has been to establish a very strong relationship with Apple and discussing with them and listening to their feedback, what their recommendation. With this dialogue, we've been able to be featured again, and it's been a tremendous help every, every time. Yeah, that's awesome. So maybe more generally, um, especially for independent developers, uh, how would you recommend that they go about um, launching an app on the Google Play or, or Apple Store? And, and how, you know, what channels should they look at if you're uh, an earlier stage startup? So it really depends on your product. It's I don't think it's the same game if you're a game or a utility or a fintech app. Um, I would say that now what people do are soft launches. So you pick one country and you soft launch in it. Uh, you you see how the user react, you update, and then you do a, a, a big a big push, big push, big bang pushes as we call them are great because you've got more organic if you do a big bang where you buy a lot of media and a lot of advertising and a bit of incentivize. So you climb the ranking, you get visibility and you onboard users. That's an option. Um, but it's it can be a damaging one as well. It's a bit of a bet because if your product is not exactly ready, there's a bug you don't know about, you're going to schedule a lot. It's going to be very intense for you to get everything on the same day, um, it's a bit stressful, it costs a lot of money, and then if you've got a problem, it can blow up in your face. So if you soft launch, you can test the product for three months, maybe, or one, one to three months, and then you can learn from it, debug it, and when you feel ready, you can go for the big bang. If you're an indie and you really have no money for advertising, um, I would I would still recommend to spend a small amount of money on Facebook advertising, where you can really target people and see how they react and um, and learn from it. So, but take the time to test different channel. You can, if you've got, for instance, um, a photo app, you can try Instagram and uh, Facebook and then maybe do a, a, a dummy video just for fun on YouTube and say if it takes, it, it takes off. And uh, I would also start the conversation with, again, blogger and technologists. That could, be, that could be an option. 
And if you really are a bit like short on money and time, I would try to see for cross promotion with other developers in your space. The mobile community is quite closely knit, so you can ask for help uh, with other guys. Maybe not King because they're a bit like busy, but um, other indies and indies helping indies works quite well. So I would I would go that way as well. So you're currently the business development manager at Quaid Media. For those who may not know, what is Quaid Media and how did the opportunity to work there came about? Uh, Quaid Media is a, is an agency doing TV advertising, um, doing uh, mobile app marketing for mobile apps via TV advertising. So there's an app, you've got an app, we've got a commercial or a trailer and uh, we do the media buying for you and uh, we, we, do, we take care of everything and... Um, You've got the flight, and then we help you get new users from new channel via TV. And how did the opportunity come from? I was um, so I was working at SwiftKey, and there was this consultant I knew for four years in the mobile industry, and he said, "Hey, we're building an agency in Berlin, like the like your first job in in mobile, and uh, it's gonna be super cool. It's in TV, and you like to do pioneer stuff like four years ago. Do you want to join us? Uh, it's new. It's exciting." And I was, uh, my boyfriend was in Berlin at the time, and I said, okay, I'm going to relocate in, in Berlin and, and try this company. That's amazing. So what role does TV advertising play in user acquisition for app developers? TV advertising is still a very, very, very powerful form of, of, of advertising and the most uh, consumed media. And it helps you as a mobile, advertising, uh, a mobile advertiser and mobile developer to reach audience that you can hardly reach with banners or other forms of advertising. Um, it depends who, uh, who your target, is, uh, target user is. But if you're targeting a segment like women, um, middle-aged women, let's say, TV is, is, is perfect for that. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Or teenage, teenage boys, perfect for that as well. The thing with TV advertising right now, it's not uh, as performance-driven as uh, mobile marketing I, I used to. But it's getting there. Uh, it's gonna. I think tracking tools will, will appear, and it's gonna be. It's gonna be possible to to do performance advertising on TV, uh, on traditional TV. Um, guys like TV Smiles and Shazam are, are working on it right now. Um, but it's it's still um, um, an awesome way to to build a branding and uh, what we what is called on TV the halo effect. Is that that you you show the spot and then you've got during two weeks um, organic installs still coming from this like weekend where you show the advertising. Hmm, that's amazing. So since you had the opportunity to work all over Europe, what is it like building a startup there? And what are some of the biggest challenges and benefits? Building startups in Europe is uh, it's great because I think it's the very beginning of the startup culture in Europe. Some models of building startup have been established by by groups like Rocket Internet. It's a German group, and they say we're going to do copycat of German of um, American company. Um, we don't. We're not going to do anything new. We're just going to execute better and be only about execution. So, and that's kind of a fashion in Europe right now, especially in Germany, to build like execution startup nothing fancy nothing exciting just perfect perfect execution um so there's that in the uk it's uh, it's different it's a whole different culture it's an anglo-saxon country so i would say it's a bit more like in the us where you've got individual with ideas 
um, try to challenge the status quo and uh, and get somewhere with a product. And in France, it's again different. Uh, France has a good culture of engineering, so we've got great engineers that try to be to build. Um, good technology and I think France is going to be strong for the Internet of Things because we've got um, a lot of assets on, on this type of technology. So I, would, I, w I wouldn't say Europe is a very un unified landscape. Um, the VC are in London, there's some angel in, in Berlin, there's some angel in, in Paris. You've got bankers, ex-bankers uh, who have an app and launch their company and they do super well. It's um, it's quite an interesting landscape. It's mostly ma masculine, I would say. So there's more and more girls uh, in the in the arena, but it's uh, it's new. Building on your comment that France could be a leader in the Internet of Things industry, are there any cool startups in this space that you can mention for us to check out? And what makes France a potential leader, in your opinion? So I don't know if you know the drone company called Parrot. The French. Uh, the little drone that are so funny with a with a camera on it, and that just um, there's them. Uh, who else is great? For the time being, I've got friends trying to build stuff, and it's mostly bits and pieces of an ecosystem. Uh, there's not gone, there's not been any big exit right now in 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 France in the Internet of Things because it's quite early. Uh, mm -hmm. But I I I feel the Paris scene is is heading a bit in that direction. Um, right now, the big names of the Parisian scenes are like Blablacar, who just raised a massive round uh, and is valued at one billion. I think it's uh, it's massive. So it's about a service which is car sharing. It's not at all Internet of Things, uh, but that's just my my gut feeling. Oh, that's really cool. So, what are some of the most recent apps that you've downloaded? Um, so as I relocated to to Berlin, I've been in using an app called TransferWise. Um, which is very useful to help me transfer my money between the UK and Berlin because it does it with a very small fee and that's very, very convenient. There's also another Berlin company fintech app called Numbers26, which helped me withdraw in the ATM in Berlin with no fees because in Berlin, in all ATMs, it's like five euros if you don't withdraw in the... Wow. In the ATM you, 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 of the bank you belong to, which is a massive bummer. And coming from the UK, where you can, you've got contactless payment for like half a pound, uh, switching to the whole cash culture of, of Germany is a bit tough. So I, I really need my number 26 um, card. And uh, after a good day in, in a startup, I, I've got an app that I like. It's called uh, Calm.com, and it's a meditation app. And I can put a meditation from two minutes to 15 minutes. And I do that when I come back home, and it's super relaxing. And you can do it everywhere. And I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Calm.com. It's very good to have a lovely woman voice telling you to just chill, and you're awesome. It's, it's very good. That's a really cool app. So have you come across any interesting media lately, like books, blogs, or videos? Um, I'm, I like a guy who is a bit controversial right now, but I like Michael Church. Um, I, I like reading him. I don't agree with him all the time, but uh, I like his approach. I like how dedicated he is to his vision and how much time he, he spends on writing his massive blog post of like 400,000 words. And it helps me as a European working startup getting insight about the startup culture in, in, in the US where it, it comes from a bit and Europe tries to emulate it so much that I feel it's important to, to see what's going on there and the pitfalls and the good stuff that we can like 
apply in Europe. Because I would say there's a gap in Europe between in the maturity of the tech scene in and the US, which is from between like 10 to 15 years. So we, I think we're gonna get the massive um, maybe bubble and hysteria that could go around like being in the white in, in incubator like the white combinator in 10 years. So for me, it's like um, foreshadowing with Michael Church. So I would I would say have a look at his blog. Cool, that sounds awesome. We'll definitely have to check it out. Um, so do you have any last thoughts or personal mottos that you live by that you think others should know about? Uh, yeah, so what I've been able to discover is that over with my journey in entrepreneurship is um, that nothing stops me and nothing should stop anyone. Um, you have... If, if, when you go for something and it's difficult, you're gonna pay a price for it. It's gonna be tiring. It's gonna be. It, it costs a lot of energy. But in the end, we can achieve much more that we think we can do. And um, yeah, we should at least believe. I think that nothing can stop us. It's a, it's a good beginning. It doesn't work all the t- all the time, but to begin with, it's 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 not a bad start. I think. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's some great advice. Well, thanks so much, Anne-Catherine, for taking the time Thank to you. speak with us. It was an awesome episode. Really, uh, really happy to have the opportunity to, to speak with you today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I hope it was understandable with the connection and the French accent. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content and more. Thanks for listening and see you next time.